reeling from all the terrible news but not sure how to take action i'm kelly i'm lila and this is what can i do each week we interview activists about how they took action what got them started who helped them along the way and what they do differently next time in the process we offer concrete advice on how to take the leap from freaking out on twitter to making a difference so let's get started Hi, everyone. I am Kelly Pollock. This is What Can I Do, the podcast where we help connect you with activists and learn their story about how they got started and how you can get started, too. I am here with my co-host, Lila Nordstrom. Hi, Lila. Hi, Kelly. How are you? I'm doing great. And we are here today with Rachel Dawn Davis, who is a regenerative activist. Rachel, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what kind of work you do? Yeah, sure. So I am, as you described, a regenerative activist. I've been an activist since I was a student, but I am right now working full time in a public policy and justice organizer role with Water Spirit, which is a nonprofit spiritual ecology center and ministry of the Sisters of St. Joseph of Peace. And I was hired to fully express their mission of hearing the cry of the earth and the cry of the poor simultaneously. Great. And well, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, I know you've done some varied roles in the activism spectrum in the course of your career and also just in the course of your life. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background politically? Do you come from a political family? Did you grow up politically engaged? How did you get involved? I I grew up into a situation where my mother was the first generation in a town that was one of the first desegregated school systems across Turtle Island. Um, now it's resegregated, but I digress for another show. Uh, I felt from my grandma and my mom that literacy was so vital and that that came in many forms and that we must partake in giving of our skills and support our community and our state and beyond. And, you know, just growing up, seeing them uh, organize people in our community, it showed me the opportunity for connection, no matter who, what, where, they knew everybody, they helped their neighbors, and just in general could foresee what was going to happen and then prepare for it with everybody's support and help. And it was was really lovely. My memories of school initially were an emphasis on equality, as I'm sure you can imagine, diversity, unification, love, and certainly lifelong learning, um, and also healthy skepticism. But I grew up apparently in a bubble surrounded by predominantly white towns, which I really only in the last several years realized. And my maternal grandfather was the first president of the Metropolitan Wholesale Meat Dealers Association, voted in while he was in the bathroom. <laughs> and he was, he was honest and he understood the value of time and work. And again, just unpacking a lot of my relationship to how I want to be a parent and just my relationship to rest and work and time. I'm realizing that yeah, he really understood that and evoked that for us and and had time to help raise myself and my sister. And he became my best friend. You have worked on several different issues. I've seen things where you've said uh, that you're interested in sort of interconnection and, and the way different issues work together. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, because I know that's something that people struggle with with activism. Like, do I get involved in this or in this? And I don't have time to do everything. And so could you talk some about that interconnectedness? Yeah, I would like to emphasize that, especially nowadays, all of it is interconnected. All social justice issues are and should be. And I do believe they're rooted in economic justice and 
environmental racism just historically ever since since colonization of people who were here first who are still here and so i studied economics so i kind of understood forecasting coming out of of that time period in my life i really could see from that actually classes that i took how the world worked and how it could work where i saw there could be peace in investments in localized economies of of agriculture you know catering to the to the land and perhaps bringing back land where it was possible and actually regenerating the land and then having people come together and do that together and have that be a very long lasting investment in time and money and in relationships and 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 love and i saw this opportunity to prevent war which seemed very costly and unnecessary and bringing back people who were you know people and then coming back as 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 people who just really need a lot of support in in reacclimating to civilian life and it's all it all to me seemed absolutely unnecessary and so my big word was prevention how do we prevent this we can prevent climate change which was already scaring me as i you know back in 2003 and i was speaking up about it where i could but you know very very much way before the the enlivened and well connected through social media movement of today. So I saw those issues as simultaneous, war, peace, energy, all of it being related. And so, yeah, I think the the opportunity that I saw was to to talk more about that in whatever issue I was working on. So I have, I'd worked to build a, a very diverse, strong coalition to help pass legislation back in the early you know, 2000s. That was the New Jersey's first Global Warming Response Act. And simultaneously, I was working to make sure that there were veterans with ground combat experience represented at political forums that were taking place throughout the country uh, that were focusing on the Iraq war at the time, but had no people represented with ground combat experience. So I was able to, you know, at that point, call an executive director. And I guess, you know, I inserted myself, I didn't feel as much the fear because I saw that these issues were directly connected and specifically needed to be addressed way before my lifetime and it scared me a lot and i think that that fear really was very motivating in in really trying to make those connections and you know it brought me to this place where i am now working with an organization a ministry of peace where i started off as like anti-war it feels very full circle i'm curious because you know in it sort of sounds like the skill set that you kind of identified in yourself as you began this work was really as a connector And, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about finding roles for yourself in advocacy or in activism that really suit your skills. I'm curious if you, if that was something you knew when you started doing this work and, you know, how you kind of developed that skill, whether that was something that was innately already a part of your life or whether that was a skill that you cultivated because you were interested in doing that work. Yeah, that's a really great question. I will, I will say I find it, I think just again, looking back, at my mom and my grandma and seeing how, and even my, uh, my father, especially after my mom passed, just seeing how everyone organized. <laughs> it was a really good experience, I think, to have from such a young age. And I think that the initial start I got was really as an undergraduate at Rutgers and just organizing as a student leader. I was then the youngest vice president of the Panhellenic Council and then president. So I was pretty much involved in student leadership for the majority of my of my college time. And I saw how the university interacted with the town and how students had a lot of power when we organized together. So I 
was able to connect with student leaders from other organizations. And that's really where I think I got my grounding being that that sort of vice president of programming, figuring out what what was going on and then learning more about what other organizations were doing, religious organizations, athletic organizations, non-mainstream Greek fraternities and sororities, which I didn't even know was, was a thing, but I helped convene the first meaning of all of the sororities and fraternities. And I didn't realize how historical that was, but it just needed to happen, you know? And so I think that that leaning into that, that has served me and everyone well, because it is something that I have done on every single campaign is try to bring in as much varied support as we can and create those stories that, that really do compel people to action because they can be related to by anyone. So I want to ask a little bit how you figure out in various campaigns sort of the right level of of where to to sort of put your action. So I think when people think about things like climate change or war, they think this has to be something at the federal level. So it has international implications. And of course, there's really valuable things that can happen at the local level too. And you've worked on on that as well. So, you know, how do you figure out if there's an issue or something sort of where you go, what you do with what you want to accomplish? I think that, you know, it depends on the amount of time you have and what your what your real focus is. If you're interested in a big international scale campaign, then go for it and you can work on that. But being intentional about what we can do with our time, I think is really important. And so you're right, it, it is important to choose strategically. And I was able to, in my life, see that I was doing too much with respect to activism and not enough, you know, self-care and intending to my own community where we live. And so I, I actually specifically took a step back. So I was consulting for the past decade and then sort of came back to this work full time. After after doing this work full time, but having that decade in between, I've spent making the connections and building the infrastructure that we need here locally so that we have no styrofoam in my kids' school bunch. That was a goal. So we created a green team and we have been working also at the county level. I've been doing a lot of work with local veterans. So it was something where I came at it from a big picture and went really local because I had been working, you know, with Paul Rykoff, who's the founder and first first executive director. And now there's a second one, Jeremy Butler of Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. And here I'm going to look at my very local veterans who are, you know, a very, a varied mix in age, mostly male. And now I'm connecting with more women because it's been several years since I've been engaged and we're doing really great things. But I felt personally that I needed to do that work at this time in my life and then I could feed it, right? And so it's about planting seeds where you feel you can help them grow the best, I think. That's a really interesting way of thinking about how to approach activism. And you're really the first person on here who's who's described it that way. I'm curious because I know you have you've planted seeds in like a few different kind of areas and you have you you know you've followed through on those seeds in those areas. I'm curious whether you approach those areas with different goals in mind. So, you know, if if you're working with veterans versus working on environmental issues, I know all of those issues are connected, but how do you kind of balance achievable action versus, you know, kind of, uh, inf- you know, helping people learn and, you know, get, get informed about a specific issue versus, I don't know, like specific hyper-local policy actions. How do you kind of 
balance when your efforts are needed and where your efforts are needed for yourself? Because it's, it's obviously a lot of things to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I will say a calendar is a great tool. And uh, even just like thinking about it from a marketing perspective, because I did do a lot of marketing stuff in my consultancy just by way of being a, a storyteller and just somebody who can see how the, how the, whatever it is can be shared and communicated. So, so yeah, there are deadlines, comment periods, end, and people who are fortunate enough to have a place to reside, go home after rallies and um, big meetings. It's important to be rejuvenated and grounded, which is why I was able to fortify myself in this role with support from Water Spirits programming, specifically in eco grief and eco-anxiety support. And for people who don't know what that is, it's the fear of impending environmental doom, which is real and happening. And I've been working on this well before before this term existed. So I've been having these feelings for way longer than anyone has really <laughs> acknowledged them, I think. And after the ancestors sounded alarms about this for all of their lifetime. So I feel like I'm a bridge. And uh, these issues are hard and taking the goals at face value, long-term, being an organizer, split them up into buckets, long-term, mid-term, and short-term, it's key because they're constantly moving and with moving parts within them. And so, again, it can get messy. It can also be fun. <laughs> and, and, uh, and also, you know, just being able to see what those different levels of goals are and should be is important, obviously writing them down and then being able to check them off the list. And, uh, and just, again, making sure you're taking care of yourself. So you mentioned earlier that fear was motivating and, and you have now been talking about eco-anxiety. You know, I think for some people, uh, fear can be kind of paralyzing. And so, you know, I wonder if you could talk some about kind of how we can use the fear that we can't help but feel, you know, there are things happening, but use that to, to motivate, figure out ways to deal with that anxiety, but, but do it productively. Yeah. I think that there is what my friend said is sort of a Hawaiian proverb, like feel the fear and do it anyway. And I think that I have always been, I, I had been shy, right? And I had been not somebody who would speak up or, or do things like this, put myself out there. But I felt so much more that the level of fear was here and the level of we need to make, you know get this stuff done was here. And so that happened a few times. And it's almost like an out-of-body experience and that's okay. And there are so many roles I want to share that are not out in front. And I still am very much prefer behind the scenes, but I do, I do recommend that there are many different roles for everyone to play. There's a lot of art that has to happen. There's a lot of administrative work that has to happen, setting up of websites, uh, just, you know, getting, getting the word out in the community. And sometimes that can be daunting one-on-one -on -one conversations or just conversations with local businesses. And that's something that I took my daughter for uh, for an experience a couple of weeks ago, just to show her what that was like. And it's different. And it's, again, it's, it can be hard. It can be daunting. And then I think I just do it anyway. And whatever comes out, <laughs> it comes out. And you trust that what you're doing is good and that it's coming from a good place and that people will be receptive where you, where you, you know, put, put it out there in the right way and where they're not, you know, that's, that's not on you. That's, that's just a, an opportunity for learning and growing. And I think that there's just so many opportunities for especially volunteers or anyone looking to get involved for you to experience a new skill and fail. That's a great thing because then you're going to be learning and, and just try and learn. I actually talk about that a lot 
in my book because I think I was like famously fearful of everything as a child. And everyone is always like, I don't understand how you became someone who's like willing to talk to Congress. And I was like, I don't know. I, I just did it while scared. I don't know what to tell you. I was just scared and I did it anyway. Same. <laughs> I'm curious also if you can talk a little bit about what is fun and sort of community building about your work, because I think a lot of the time, you know, the fear prevents us from seeing what is really like rewarding about engaging in a tough issue and, and sort of working with other people to fight. Yeah. I think it's so important to celebrate and to just be together. And so, you know, people, of course, this is COVID-19. We're still dealing with that. Although I know several of my organizers working on flood defense got together at a diner this week and, you know, just making sure that you are getting some FaceTime beyond the meetings that you're having is really important. Fortunately, you know, working with Water Spirit, we have seasonal celebrations that not only we plan and partake in and lead, but we invite our fellow, especially me, our fellow activists to partake in and really just anyone who's grappling with any of these feelings really to regularly partake in for over 20 years. And so they're pretty reliable. We have the, the fall equinox coming up on September 22nd, if anyone's interested. And it is also virtual. So that's been something that's been good to offer up throughout all of these campaigns that I've worked on, specifically the last two years, just to remind everyone in all of my meetings, hey, let's enjoy what we're working so hard to protect. And then of course, getting out into nature. So we've had you know, opportunities for group hikes and where our property used to be, well, Watersburg's property used to be, there was a pool and it was on the beach, but it was lost due to Sandy. Perfect story. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're, we actually are working on um, expanding programs because we have hired a new program manager who has a lot of experience doing this. So if you're interested, we have, I mean, our board is, is varied, but one of our board members is very, very uh, much a leader, Hugh um, Carolla from Hackensack Riverkeeper. So we have opportunities to get out on the water that way. And again, see the Meadowlands that we're working so hard to protect. So I'd love to talk about raising activist kids. So you talked both about how your own experience as a kid and your own experience with your family was so informative, but you also mentioned taking your daughter to events. You know, can you talk some about that? And uh, I'm a parent too, so this is, you know, not just for the listeners, but for me, <laughs> like how, how you think about raising activist kids, raising kids who are sort of aware of what's going on without, you know, scaring them too much about the state of the climate. <laughs> yeah. And it's a, it's a very fine line. And I will recommend uh, Harriet Sugarman has recently written a book about this and specifically how to talk to your kids about climate change uh, or cli I would say climate crisis, but yeah, it's, it's a fine line <laughs> and it is something where, I couldn't escape them seeing a lot of my meetings or hearing a lot of my meetings just the last couple of years. And so they'll very out of nowhere come out with things that I go, oh my gosh, you know that, or you're regurgitating this. Wow, you really are listening. And so I think that they are a little ahead of the game when it comes to understanding kind of how, you know, the the people with power and money are operating things in the world. And frankly, you know, in this specific, again, across uh, Turtle Island. So I think that they come at things with that awareness and they see me have fun and they see me, you know, focus on not just the work, but also getting to nature. We, I try to take my dog out into nature every single day. It really keeps me grounded. It keeps him grounded. And uh, they have benefited from my community building, right? So my, <laughs> my eldest just became a certified 
junior master gardener and so had a plot this summer and we have last harvest this weekend. So really helping them from a very young age be in nature and love nature and then lead me back into it as well and get away from my computer, I think has been key. And then just seeing you know what opportunities are available for all of us to be in nature. We have the benefit of living in a park system that offers great classes. So we're going to look at the stars coming up in a couple of weeks and just, yeah, I just try to focus our time that's not working on being outdoors or with nature. And frankly, I have, you know, advocated, I think just, uh, you know, instinctively for these issues that I've picked my eldest and my and my little one they're really into animals and so they're very much focused on wildlife advocacy and that's something that is new to me and we have this dog that I never imagined having and now he's eight and can't imagine not having him and I've just been exposed to a lot of of that sort of activism as well as the the beauty and so it's a whole new area of activism but I could easily see my daughter is ending up in advocacy for wildlife and, and also education, which is something that they love and something I've been able to help them do, again, proactively in, my, in our town with help from local leaders, right? The, the leaders in my green team are helping me to help her become a leader. And so it's all feeding itself. I'm curious, actually, with that in mind, what advice you have for people who aren't really engaged yet, but are looking for ways to get engaged beyond the sort of voting and donating and this kind of like typical stuff that you hear about in the political cycle, where would, where would you tell them to start? Yeah, I would say go to a meeting, a a meeting of any committee in your town and learn what's going on in your town and learn, you know, if you, if there are openings for volunteers, I know we're always looking for volunteers. I can't imagine a town that isn't, that's a great town to live in. But I think that getting engaged with what decisions are made and the process through which they're made and by whom is really important. That's something that I've been able to do pretty strategically here again, just because I I think that when people look to be involved in politics, they often neglect the work that's being done in a nonpartisan, apolitical, hey, we all live here, we're on the same ground kind of way. And that's something that I've always cherished about the activism I've had with veterans because it's always been nonpartisan. I've never had to change in that way. And I think that's been a huge strength. And so I think, you know, that advice I would go, I would, I would suggest everyone go in nonpartisan and I, I would recommend remaining that way. And, and I'm, you know, politically focusing on being independent and, and that's my personal choice and other people can choose whatever they want to. But I think just being able to be on the same peer to peer level with people who are already engaged in doing something in your town would be a great way to start. You mentioned earlier when you were talking about roles that people can have, that there's always a need for art. Can you talk a little bit about sort of the ways that art is needed in these spaces? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There is, I would hope, a kind of renaissance going on with respect to art in in places that are public and filled with nature or perhaps expanding upon uh, access to nature. And for for any campaign, of course, art is... I think the the game changer when it comes to it, whether it's a poster or a banner, you know, all of it, all of it together, I think makes the makes the mark. Film is is a great tool that I've been able to use strategically throughout my activism, and that's a big important form of art. And there are shorter films because we have shorter attention spans that can be played in in public spaces, and people can be really creative with these things. But I think where you have 
somebody speaking to a legislator and having a flyer, there's a difference between that and having, you know, a, a die-in or something where, where there is a clear visual that something is not right. And people are going to look at that and pay attention versus just keep going with their day and just easily ignore it. I think that's what art has the power to do is help put people, stop them in their tracks and make them think and then maybe feel and then maybe act. Are there other things uh, that, that you would like to make sure that people are thinking about with activism, with advocacy, you know, things that uh, maybe have come up in your life and in your trajectory that just like nobody ever thinks about? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I would say, again, if, if people are interested in getting involved, learning more about how the most affected people are being represented or, or how, if their voices are being centered. And then if you see an opportunity to make a campaign better or more creative, I would recommend people speak up and follow through. That's really big advice because it's something where I guess I came into a point where people were not following through because the fact that I was following through was a really big deal. And that made a mark on me. And I, something that I continue to pass on to people, but make sure press cover the work you're doing because if it wasn't reported or recorded, it did not happen. That's something I say all the time and it is true. And I'm glad we came to each other by way of a, a press leader. And it's so appropriate because one of my first times being quoted about, about the climate crisis is a very, very young alumnus was that there was not enough reporting and it's, it's terrifying me basically. The EPA is not reporting and, and nobody's reporting on it. And so, yeah, that's, that's a must and and you know have have the ability to be open and again learn based upon new information because that sometimes happens great well this was i think really helpful because this is really the first time we've spoken to somebody who's working on extremely local campaigns and i think they're there are a lot of ways to be concerned about a lot of issues at the federal level. And then there are also a lot of ways to be involved at the local level that feel impactful. And I think you've made a good case for why and how that, you know, how local activism is impactful. So thank you so much. I'm so happy to help provide that. It was my friend, Miles, who's, he's a veteran and he's also an artist. He's actually been on Water Spirits, Waterside Chat series. You can see him interviewed. But yeah, he was like, you should go to that meeting. I had recorded a music video for like a huge thing that he was doing in that park that I go to every day. So since 2014, I've been, I saw this Veterans Committee was meeting as needed. I was like, what do you mean as needed? And so I met <laughs> with the mayor. I was like, no. And so from then on, we had this like satellite vet center that was out of our community center, which is an upcycled firehouse. It's like the most beautiful thing ever that we did. And we were able to have group therapy and then ultimately alternative therapies. And now I want to have a standalone vet center. So that's my next kind of thing that I'm going to work on for the county. That sounds awesome. Do you have any work that you want to make sure people can find? Do you have any places that people can follow you or anything like that? Yeah, sure. You can visit waterspirit.org, check out the events calendar. We do have several events coming up. So you can look at that. We do have a cool stormwater management and environmental justice webinar series. And the second one is coming up September 7th, if anyone's interested. And the recording of the first one is also on our advocacy pages. So feel free to check out and follow us on Twitter. Great. We'll put those things in the show notes so people can find them. Awesome. Thanks for listening to What Can I Do? 
You can find show notes and credits for this episode at whatcanidopodcast.com. To the best of our knowledge, all audio used by What Can I Do is in the public domain or used with permission. Original artwork is by Matthew Wesson and used with express permission. You can find us on Twitter at What Can I Do Pod. To contact us with questions or guest suggestions, please email hello at whatcanidopodcast.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review and tell your friends.